there. This is Liren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Australian food writer, broadcaster, and television host, Alice Soslovsky. Alice is the resident culinary correspondent on ABC News Breakfast, the host of ABC Radio Sunday Drive, as well as numerous Australian food shows, and writer of the best-selling and award-winning cookbook, In Praise of Veg, the ultimate cookbook for vegetable lovers. I am so excited to welcome Alice to the podcast. Hi, Alice. Liren, I am so excited to be welcomed to your podcast. We are kindred spirits, and it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's my absolute pleasure. You're so right. I, we do love vegetables. <laughs> that is true. I always start by asking, what's the first thing you ever cooked and about how old were you? Uh, I helped a lot around the house when I was, you know, I grew up in Georgia in the former Soviet Union. So we were always put to work, you know, we were just part of the part of the battalion, part of the crew, uh, the kitchen crew. So um, I think I would have been, I remember being three and helping with the satsibeli, which is our version of passata, you know, mm-hmm. always kind of helping to process the tomatoes, even just bringing them over to put through the hand cranked mincer. Yes. And I remember helping my babushka with dumplings. She had one of those really cool dumpling presses. So you uh-huh. put the meat into each little hole and, you know, metal, really quite heavy metal. Mm. And you pop the, um, you know, the mince, so the dough goes, then you pop the mince on, then another dough and you press it. Um, I don't know where that is. I should probably find it because those are rare as hen's teeth these days. And then um, the first thing that I was entrusted uh, to cook myself on heat was when I was about eight years old, I would uh, have to watch the eggplant and make sure it didn't burn. So there's a dish in Georgia, um, which is, you know, the eggplant kind of is thinly sliced and char-grilled. So at eight, I was char-grilling, but it's still the only job that dad trusts me to do. (laughs) If we're cooking a big family feast, watch the eggplant, just like, dad, (laughs) people trust me to cook things now. (laughs) It's so funny how they still think of you as eight years old. I know my dad still does that sometimes too. And I was going to ask you about the dumpling press. It would be so nice if someone passed it down to you. It would. Eventually, I wonder where it's gone. Um, I wonder actually if my aunt has snaffled it because, Mm. um, you know, when I say that I come from a long line of uh, kitchen crew, we're all cooks. So I think we'd be fending each other off for it. (laughs) (laughs) I understand that completely. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your journey from Georgia to Australia, and and also your journey in the world of food media? I, uh, the journey has been, how would I describe it? A long and winding road, uh, but uh, all roads have led back to working in food. I uh, was born in the former Soviet Union and like many, um, you know, uh, Jewish people, Eastern European uh, people. It's a combination of sort of Lithuanian, Russian, Ukrainian. Ended up in Georgia after the pogroms and spent several generations in Georgia, which is a place of milk and honey. You know, it's a fertile soil. It's the vegetables there. Liren, you would be in veggie-loving heaven. They're just (laughs) beautiful, um, ripe tomatoes, the kind of imagery that you would imagine. Think Italy combined with the spice road. So, Mm. um, you know, Georgia, interestingly, has a lot of influences from India, from uh, the Middle East, from Asia, 
and from Russia. So all of that together means that it's a real melting pot of cultures and a real melting pot of dishes. So um, there are spice markets, there are the colours are just gorgeous and rolling hills. Uh, and I I bring that still to my food. And the, the privilege that I had growing up in a place where the food tasted that good, just picked off the vine, is that I never learnt that vegetables were supposed to be boring. Mm -hmm. They were always delicious and we ate them for breakfast, lunch and dinner. You know, if it was just a simple chopped salad at breakfast time and it would have been lots of different share plates at lunch and the same goes for dinner. Uh, So that was my childhood. And we left Georgia. There was a lot of civil unrest. My parents uh, chose to pack up their lives and leave in 1991. And we came to, uh, it was kind of between, it was a real toss-up. We could have been in America. You know, they had applied for visas to the United States, to uh, Israel, to Europe and to Australia. And Australia had just opened its gates. And so that's where we ended up. And Australia is a very different place than, um, you know, <laughs> as you can imagine, than, yes. than the former Soviet Union. The thing that most struck us when we came here was the abundance of everything you know we'd come from a place of fairly empty shelves and you go into an Australian supermarket and it's just uh overwhelming overwhelming (laughs) overwhelming that's it so uh, and when my parents are both academics but when they first came here they actually um thinking about what they were going to do they their English still wasn't great and they did what a lot of migrants do and that's decide to open a restaurant. So they actually went and applied to open a Georgian restaurant here. Uh, we were based in Sydney at that point and the accountant said, or the bank manager said, what experience do you have? What hospitality experience? And they said, well, we've got we've both got PhDs and, you know, computer science is our speciality. And the, the bank manager said, eh, maybe stick to that. Um, but I just think it's interesting if you think about that long and winding road, how often in my life there have been those moments of, um, you know, food beckoning mm-hmm. and those moments continued. I studied uh, creative arts and teaching and I absolutely loved, I've always loved understanding the connections between culture and society and the arts and the, the, our passions and what drives us. And for me, it was always food. You know, I loved, the thing that I love about food is the way that it connects people. It's a really easy way of saying, hello, let's be yeah. friends. Yes, it's it sometimes is. easier actually, it's right? Much <laughs> easier. That's it. The journey to anyone's heart is through their stomach. So um, when I started teaching, I would journey into my students' hearts by creating feasts. We had, um, you know, ancients feast. Uh, where students all brought things from ancient Egypt or uh, it was a Roman feast and it was all about the the ancient Roman and Greek culture and medieval feasts always. (laughs) I was in charge of the humanities budget so we were feasting. (laughs) Uh, But I also realised that actually I was thinking more about food than I was about history and geography and English and I thought how can I do more of this? So I noticed when I would take my students on camps that they actually beyond the feasting, they didn't have a basic understanding of food. And I realised that I could do that for them by connecting food and culture and the lessons that I was doing. So I pitched a food and culture elective to my school. They turned around and said, well, sounds like a good idea, but you don't have the expertise. You're an English humanities teacher, a drama teacher, uh, and you 
probably won't get the numbers. And so I said, I'll show them. And I went and did a full-blown chef at home course with a Michelin star chef uh, at a local kind of TAFE, um, you know, trade school. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that course, they were bumping out our course kit and bumping in MasterChef Australia auditions. And I figured uh, that I heard on the grapevine, I'd never thought to audition for a show like that, but I heard on the grapevine that they were looking for people with personality who could cook. And uh, you, (laughs) that's me, that's me. And I also knew that if I went on the show, my students would see me because I'd heard them talking about MasterChef at school and they would do my food and culture elective. So I'd get the numbers. So it was really just as pure as that, Liren. And it's so funny. (laughs) It's so funny. And at that point in my long and winding road, it was a real moment of clarity and flow. And the MasterChef journey um, is for anyone that has been on a competitive cooking show. It's, um, you, you don't do it for fun. <laughs> it, was, it was a very challenging time, but it was also an incredibly um, world expanding time. Imagine cooking for Rick Stein, uh, going to Italy and cooking for Gualtiero Marchese, for Massimo Bottura. You know, mm. our season was the best season of MasterChef Australia ever. <laughs> and I came off the show and I had all these doors start to open for me. You know, I had a, a children's book publisher come and say, you know, we heard you're a teacher and that you've got a book in the works. Have you got a publisher? And I said, uh, I have an idea of a book. And no, I don't have a publisher yet. Yes, let's do this. And I also had a couple of uh, TV shows that came off that uh, that I could audition for and, and got through. And, and uh, that was a decade ago. And wow. since I know, I know. And since then, so I've been in the food media and in food uh, professionally for over, th- you know, three times longer than I was a teacher. But I still think of myself as a teacher because so many of the things that I've done, the, the strings to my bow, are still within that education space. So I work, uh, I worked to pitch this program to government and industry. Uh, which is all about connecting kids with vegetables through the classroom. You know, that food and culture elective, but bigger. Mm-hmm. We've had upwards of $2 million of funding and it's still going, you know, podcast, nomcast, video, lesson plans. So that that's humongous. And then the book, In Praise of Veg, really is a textbook. You know, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's a textbook, but it's pretty and it's accessible and it's for not just uh, not just young people, but also families and anyone who's looking to, you know, reconnect with veg in a really fun way. Well, I love your educational background because I do feel, and I, I see this a lot from other creators that I meet, that a lot of times you will meet people who have backgrounds as teachers. And I think it just lends itself so perfectly to what we do because mm. you're explaining, you're connecting the dots and Um, So, yeah, that makes complete sense that you were a teacher in your previous life. You still are a teacher. I still am. The the classroom's just bigger now. (laughs) It's just just a different different classroom. That's it. And I love how you wrote your own textbook. In Praise of Veg has become a definitive guide to vegetables in Australia. So how did the book exactly come about? Did you know that you wanted a tome on just vegetables? Good question. Uh, I was working uh, as a um, not just, you know, the, the food and culture elective was was one thing that I was doing. I was also working as a restaurant critic and hosting um, big sort of a food editor. I was hosting big, big name chefs at, at food festivals on stage. 
And I realized, again, you know, it's all about following your nose and following your passions. I realized that a lot of our conversations were beginning to center on food uh, and, and the, you know, that notion of the third plate. So coming back to the idea that um, vegetables could be much more in focus, uh, I, I think particularly some of the research that we did for the Phenomenon Project, which is that schools project, I identified the huge pain point that actually I'd never faced as, as a child or um, within my life was that a lot of people couldn't find the hook. They couldn't find the passion for vegetables. Mm -hmm. So I, um, you know, less than 5% of kids get their recommended daily intake of veg. It's no different in the States. It's no different anywhere in the world and, and adults aren't much better. So I knew that the, the schools program was going to be a really great way of kind of leading the horse to water, but I needed to make sure that when the kids got home, my my um, metaphors and analogies are out of control in this conversation, Liren. I just realised, <laughs> but let's go with this. So you can, okay. lead, you, know, you can lead these, these young people to the trough, but if when they get there, the vegetables are overboiled and under-seasoned, then they're not going to enjoy them. And so I needed to facilitate that slam dunk you know, for parents, for anyone that was cooking for their families and also people that are cooking for themselves because it's not just people who are cooking for others. It's also ha habit forming. It's how do I change my own behaviours and my own attitudes around something that I might have grown up hating mm -hmm. but now realise that I need to eat. How do I eat it in a way that's exciting to me? So that's how Impraise of Veg came about. You know, there was a lot of kind of identification of what the barriers to consumption are for each vegetable and then how do I break down those barriers and how do I support people to eat veg better? And yes. when I approached my publisher and said I wanted to write this book about veg, um, Jane is her name, um, Jane said, I don't know if people need another book on veg. You know, there's so many books out there. What's going to make yours different? And I said, I'm going to make mine different. Uh, this is going to be full of colour it's not going to harp on about health because I think that's one thing that unfortunately vegetables have been much maligned because people believe that health and uh, deliciousness and taste are mutually exclusive, mm. but actually they are very interconnected and studies have shown that your taste buds will tell you when something is nutritious. Like, whoa, how do we harness <laughs> that power within our bodies so I uh, she said if you're going to do it it has to be a category killer it has to be big and it has to be bold you know bolshy mm. and it that's exactly what this book is you know it's close to 500 pages uh, it's full of delicious recipes that happen to be very veg forward sometimes they have some meat involved you know just like your book you know that that notion of meat on the side rather than mm -hmm. meat as the hero the vegetables are the hero and it's also uniquely uh, coded by colour, which is yes. very intentional because I wanted it to be translatable. You know, that, that children's book that I wrote is an A to Z, which means that it couldn't be translated into languages which don't have an ABC alphabet. So I figured colour would make it much more translatable and it has been translated into German and Dutch and soon to be South, into Korean, into Polish. You know, it's exciting to see the book in all its different forms. But it's also very useful. Can, I'm going to pick one up just to show you what it does. Mm -hmm. Liren, because I know that uh, it's very in, in its physical form, just you wait. So 
It's color coded. Oh, you that, can see it. You on can the paper. see it. Oh, you can gosh. see it. And so what that means and what I kind of hoped would happen, but it really works from a UX perspective, is that if you know that you've got zucchini in the fridge, you just go on the side to the green section and you open it up and you're there. So it yeah. just makes a 500-page book feel much less overwhelming. It's better than an index. Actually, yes. yes. So it's funny because one of the first things that stood out to me was how you organized by color. And I loved that decision. And I thought that was super smart. I also love other things that you make to make it very uh, approachable. You have the vegetable matrix, which I think is so smart. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Sure. The vegetable matrix is uh, coming back to being a teacher. You know, everybody learns differently and some people are spreadsheet people. So the vegetable matrix is a spreadsheet and it's a really easy reference point that you can just go back to. If you're, you get home from work, it's 5.30, you just look in your crisper and you go, oh, I've got carrots. Go into the vegetable matrix. It'll tell you if you want something light and bright or if you're in a hurry or if you just want set and forget. It's just got those little um, key moments that I really hope at one point will just kind of settle into your brain and then you'll have your own vegetable matrix in your head, a bit like Trinity learning to, you know, fly a helicopter in her sleep. You know, over time, you will have the matrix in your head. <laughs> yeah, just a little, it's sort of like a tool belt, you know, and yes, right, you know exactly what to do. So veggies have their moments. Some come into fashion, some don't. I'm thinking of kale, for example. What do you think is the hot veggie of the moment? Ah, oh, uh, it's a toss-up. Uh, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, I would say cauliflower. I think cauliflower mm -hmm. is um, such a good neutral kind of chicken of the soil. But uh, <laughs> right, uh, but I've got to say so it's right. probably <laughs> it's probably eggplant. Um, I think eggplant is so meaty and silky and slippery, and it lends itself to so many different cuisines. And you know, you've got to shout out to you know Yota Modelengi. He's made eggplant so hot right now. So that that's the veg of the moment. My pick for next veg of the moment is fennel. I think fennel is mm. going to have its time in the sun because it. It's kind of like three vegetables in one. You've got the fronds, which is the herb. You've got yeah. the stalks, which are more like celery. And then you've got the body, which is just so – got that gorgeous anise yes. licoriciness to it. So, um, you know, it's kind of got that boom, boom factor. So yeah. Yeah, look out. Fennel's coming for you, eggplant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm loving the eggplant feel right now because there are people who don't enjoy things like the slipperiness of eggplant or okra. But um, I'm hoping more people experiment with it because it's so, so good. And I love how you think of fennel in those three different ways. That's I've never really thought about it, but completely true. Um, and, and that you can manipulate the slipperiness. Yeah. So eggplant, if, you don't, if you're not a fan of the slipperiness, then team it with crunch. And that way you've got the, you know, it's a less of a feature and more of a benefit. Mm -hmm. And okra doesn't have to be slippery. It can, if you deep fry it, okra can still have, you know, again, the, the crunch and you just get a bit of the slip as it's going down the gullet. <laughs> <laughs> so I know some people like have that, you know, that averseness to the slippery. Is there any vegetable that maybe you have struggled with in your life? Oh, there's got to be one. <laughs> there's got to be. I, when I was in my teens, uh, late teens, early twenties, I was dating uh, a fellow whose dad loved bitter melon, 
It was his favourite vegetable. Mm-hmm. He used to cook a bit of melon and black bean uh, stir fry. Oh, which, I love that. Yes, I know. I love it now. Keep, yeah. <laughs> I, I love it now. But at the time, it was the first time I'd experienced this vegetable, and it's it is you know what it is what it says on the box. It's a bitter melon. However. I set myself the challenge that I was going to find a way to love bitter melon. And Liren, I know you're clearly already converted. <laughs> it's just, again, about how you treat it. And yeah. it's about um, recognising that some veg needs a little bit of extra love. And if you think about it in the context of meat, some meat or animal protein needs extra love too. And we give that, you know, top billing Offal, for example, is such an acquired taste and yet people who love lamb's brains or um, you know, tripe, which takes a little while to, to process, they love it because it is special mm-hmm. and it is an acquired taste. So if you find bitter melon at the shops, treat it in that same special way. Same with choco, you know, same with, same with okra. Um, I, I'm a big fan and I get really excited. You know, Jerusalem artichoke needs a little bit of extra love. <laughs> true, uh, true. Just just so that it doesn't, you know, keep coming back <laughs> to haunt you. Yeah. But once you know those little, you know, the love language of Jerusalem artichoke, you are flying. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me. My mom taught me a trick for the bitter melon. So after slicing it, she would um, let it sit in a salt water bath. And her feeling was that, and I think it's true, it leaches out some of the bitterness. You rinse it and maybe do it again, um, depending on the on the vegetable and how bitter it is. But that was definitely one of the tricks she taught me. So yeah, a little extra love goes a long way. <laughs> That's it. And the salt too um, mitigates the bitterness. So mm-hmm. with that uh, salt bath that your mum was doing, which is such a great idea, it uh, would have been seasoning the the bitter melon much better and that way when you taste it it tastes creamy and uh, sweet even Mm -hmm. and bitter melon too is one of the only um, recognized vegetables that can help with things like I'm pretty sure it's got a a benefit for uh, people with diabetes you know in terms of stabilizing blood sugar so veg was the OG superfood. You know, every vegetable has benefits and if it's whether it's to make you zing or whether it's actually something much quicker and, and you know, like a quick fix, like what ginger can do for you when you sound like mm. this, you know, there's, there's there's something to to be said for all of them. Yeah. Okay, so um, here in the US, it's the height of summer. A lot of people have zucchini you know, lying around. What do you recommend that we do with all this zucchini? Oh, uh, in the book, there is a summer slice, which is a zucchini frittata, which I think is such a great thing to make. And and people make it um, down under all the time now because it freezes. You can slice it up and pop it into Mm. lunch boxes uh, when school comes back. So if you've got it in the freezer ready to go, you could be like banking it (laughs) for school time. Yeah. Uh, And one thing that I really wish I'd gotten into the book but only discovered after this book was written is the um, zucchini fritter but using chickpea flour or beeson. Mm -hmm. That acts. um, So chickpea flour or beeson behaves like egg, so it binds the zucchini. So you don't even need to – normally for a zucchini slice you have to sort of strain out the moisture out of the zucchini, but in this instance you're – using the natural moisture that comes out of zucchini to build a batter 
and you get these really easy sort of five five ingredient fritters but that's in my next book so <laughs> that's ah. a sneak peek recipe for you yes. uh, and um pop them on the grill as well put, put them on the um on the barbecue and don't oil them before you barbecue them that's the thing a lot of people when they put zucchini on the barbecue they, they oil it first and all that does is it locks in all of that moisture inside the zucchini and so it starts to break down and become too kind of, uh, how would I describe it, <sighs> delicate but not in a good way. Uh, it just, it has a little, it has a little moment of its own zucchini when it's mm. oiled and, and grilled. So instead grill it dry and then brush it with your marinade. Oh, that's so interesting. I'll have to try that because I am go. guilty of yeah. maybe Same with asparagus. Know, tossing it. That's it. Yeah, you toss it in the oil and, and even people will toss it in something like a garlic oil, right? So you've got mm. your finely sliced garlic. But mm. garlic, again, very delicate. So if you put that on really high heat, you're actually turning it bitter and burnt. Mm. So nude. <laughs> <laughs> on the barbecue, nude, and then brush it with your marinade. Okay, cool. And then down where you are on the opposite side of the world it's chilly what are you what are you enjoying right now oh uh what aren't we enjoying I'm actually you know funnily enough we've got um we've, we've been experiencing some phenomenally terrible um weather so you know floods uh have been ravaging parts of Australia and they're the parts of Australia where vegetables grow so there are shortages of vegetables here. So people are actually starting to go to the frozen vegetable aisle. Uh, I've been loving frozen corn, frozen mm -hmm. peas. I've been adding that to everything. Uh, we've been, what have we been, we've been really relishing uh, some of the, I'm just thinking what's what's in our fridge, uh, some of the brassicas as well. So broccoli, cauliflower, getting getting a run on. Uh, mm -hmm. And radicchio, um, it's something that I love popping through pasta, like a sausage pasta with radicchio is delicious as well. But it's kind of, I don't like, you know, I think what you've identified there with my hesitation, I don't like picking a favourite. I feel like I'm being <laughs> disloyal to the rest of them. So that's what the, that's what that in sort of that un, unsureness is in me. It's like, ah. Oh, well, I'm, it's I'm an unfair question. That's yeah. it. Unfair. Unfair. <laughs> mushrooms. Let's say mushrooms because they're they're not really a veg. You know, they're they're their own soup. They're their own uh, food group. True. Um, yes. And the wet fry is something I'm really excited about in In Praise of Veg. I don't know if you've given that a go where you boil the mushrooms and you uh -huh. let the liquid evaporate fully and then you add the fat. So, again, that principle that I told you mm. with, with zucchini where you don't want to lock in the moisture. A lot of people who find mushrooms challenging, it's the slipperiness factor. So you can mitigate the slipperiness, caramelise the shiitake out of them, pun intended, <laughs> And then you add your, whether it's oyster sauce or soy sauce or, you know, pinch of sugar and plenty of butter or oil. I'm going to have to definitely try to, you know, stay away from the oil and give it oh, a go because I'm going to send really you. Oh, yeah. And Liren, I'll send you. I've got a, a reel that I made about the wet fry method. It's going to blow your mind. I love it. Mm, cool. Okay. So very quickly, kids and vegetables, you know, you've identified so many challenges what's one way that someone listening right now can can encourage their kids to enjoy vegetables in their house? 
Oh, uh, the, the number one way is that it's all in the delivery. So mm-hmm. what you shouldn't be doing ever is playing the it's good for you path because the expectation of flavour goes down as soon as you say it's healthy. And kids don't care, actually. You know, talking to kids about health and long-term health benefits is like talking to them (laughs) about superannuation. They do not care. And, in fact, what they'll think is if my parent, you know, they don't have to sell me on nuggets, so why are they trying to sell me on broccoli? I've got parents who are putting the broccoli florets up on top of the fridge and saying you can't get a floret until you do this. So they're actually shifting the Mm -hmm. value of that vegetable. Don't ever say or try not to say, I know that a lot of these patterns and habits are actually from how we were taught to eat as well. And Mm -hmm. you'll catch yourself saying, oh, saying something and you'll think, oh my God, there's my mother, you know? Yeah, all the time. (laughs) If you can do your best not to say you can't have dessert until you've had your veg, because again, what that does is it vilifies the veg and it puts dessert on a pedestal if your child um, is the sort of is a sweet tooth put dessert on the table at the same time over time what will happen is actually they'll recognize that every food is food there's no value here there's no moral judgment it's all just food and most importantly taste your food before you serve it up do add salt do add olive oil make sure that when you serve it up it tastes the best version of that vegetable that it possibly can. Think of yourself as a food curator. You know, you're create you're creating these habits for this child. They've never experienced tomatoes. Don't give them the tomato in the middle of winter. Now Amen. is the time. Thank Amen. you. Amen. <laughs> so now is the time on your side of the world where you should be introducing children to summer vegetables. Give them a tomato. Let yep. them sniff it. If it smells aromatic and if it tastes the way that nature intended, that's amazing. And don't be afraid. Um, as well if you get those tomatoes home and they're not doing what they need to do roast them with a pinch of sugar just to kind of like intensify the flavor fake a really sweet kind of sun-drenched tomato feel and season properly you know do add salt to taste and put the food on the table in share bowls so don't serve up um, what you think your child's going to eat let them choose and the number one thing, number one, Lyra, and I know you asked me for one thing and I've given you like No, this is good. <laughs> this is, <laughs> I am on my soapbox. Uh, number one is that it comes back to role modelling. Monkey see, monkey do. And if they see you saying, oh, no, thanks, I don't eat onions or oh, yeah, mushrooms, I'm not a fan, they will mirror that behaviour. So yeah. even if you're not a humongous fan, set yourself the challenge. Only in your head, don't ever say it out loud. I'm going to learn to love this vegetable because I owe it to myself. I owe it to my child self to unblock that whatever, you know, habit has happened or that, you know, that child wound. Uh, And I owe it to my children not to pass that on. Role modeling is key. So number one, exposure, which is how you, when you put it on the table and you make sure that when you expose them to it, it's in a really fun way. Number two is the role modeling massive massive and uh number three is just when when they do it when they experience it then you want them to have a really good time with it make sure it's in season make sure it's delicious if you're not going to eat it don't serve it up yeah and i first of all i think those lessons are applicable to adults as well because since many you know parents don't take that approach you know it takes a little bit of unlearning and relearning for a lot of grown-ups and secondly, it's 
um, I think the thing that I've learned with my kids is yes, the role modeling does work. It just might take some time. Like for example, my kids have seen me eat sweet potatoes over and over again. And, you know, it took a while, but they now like it. So it, you just yes. don't give up is what I'm saying, basically. Don't give up. You know, studies have shown, um, research shows that it's about sort of some some kids need 15 exposures mm-hmm. before they actually, and, and exposure doesn't have to mean that they put it in their in their mouths. It can just be in front of them. It can just be having a conversation about them. That's what actually Phenomenon does, you know, with the podcast and with the videos and just the, the fun is that a kid might come home and say, did you know carrots weren't always orange? And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't know that. And have a look, we've got carrots tonight in our stir fry. Boom. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's kind of, you know, bridging those gaps, I guess, is something that we can all do a better job with. Yeah. Gosh, Alice, time is flying by. I've loved chatting with you. I hate to close this out, but before I let you go, I just have some closing questions, if you don't mind. Okay. Okay. What's something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you need an emergency go-to dinner? Uh, um, probably omelets is definitely up there or just mm-hmm. blanching. I'll blanch some broccoli florets and some, uh, let's say, some frozen peas and toss it together with some garlic butter and um, and and maybe pasta. I mean, let's face it, <laughs> lazy, yeah. lazy girl pasta, like a puttanesca is a really great idea if you're in a hurry. Yes, totally agree 1,000%. What's the one <laughs> recipe that you treasure the most? My mum's satsivi, which is like a Georgian chicken and walnut. Uh, I guess it's like a, a cold chicken and walnut salad, uh, oh. probably that. Yeah, oh, it's a delicious, delicious dish. Sounds good. Are you <laughs> a messy cook or a neat cook? <laughs> I think you probably guess. I'm a very messy cook and I have a very fastidious husband. He's just such a, he's a Virgo. So um, thankfully I kind of, um, I've, I've learned helplessness to him into cleaning the kitchen once I'm done. I've learned as over time, I've learned to kind of clean as I go, but I'll still call myself a messy, messy messier cook than I'd like to be. Proud. Yeah. Yeah, We are definitely kindred spirits. (laughs) What is a good kitchen tip that you can share? You control the heat. The heat does not control you. Oh, I love that. Some people are afraid of going into the kitchen because they're scared of burning stuff. Guess Mm. what? Turn off, turn off the hob, you know, (laughs) turn off the oven. Um, Don't be afraid to, to play with fire because you're in control. I like that. So every week I try to share five little things, something that made me smile that week. Is there something that made you smile this week? Oh, I have been reading so many amazing books, you know, and my other hat that you mentioned is I get to host a radio show every week and I've just been reading voraciously and I just finished a book called uh, The Space in the Stars that was just magnificent about the healing power of nature to help Uh, and (laughs) something that made me smile in our home life is I don't really wear high heels. You know, the pandemic has meant that all of those events that I used to host are done and dusted. So I'm in slippers or I'm in sneakers. And yet somehow our three and a half year old, you know, I call her the nut 
Hazel, our little oh. girl, she grabs my stilettos and walks around the house in them and she's found <laughs> my little ankle boots, my little Prada ankle boots, and she's been walking around the house in them. And I, I um, accidentally brought some headphones home from the plane, which is just such a no-no. Oops. But last night, I know, <laughs> last night she was walking around with the headphones on and the Prada boots and just like this real and like her overcoat she just looked like this cool kid from the 80s and I was just like <laughs> how have we created this amazing little thing so I think um that's such a such a cliche answer now that I think about it but yeah my, no, I love just it. watching her grow yeah it makes me smile well <laughs> three is such a fun fun age I'm gonna sound like a granny and tell you to enjoy every minute even when three becomes two with an attitude um <laughs> But yeah, it's so fun. Take pictures of all those funny antics. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing our best. We're doing, but she now that she knows, she kind of um, will walk around taking pictures herself as well. She'll grab my smartphone and be taking photo, you know, photos of food. It's just ah, nuts. that's so cute, <laughs> little mini you. <laughs> that's it. Monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> yeah. See, there's that mirroring. Yeah. So, Alice, where can everyone find your book, and where can they find you? You can find your local stockist at inpraiseofveg.com. You can find it at all good indie bookstores, at many um, sort of gift shops, at at bookstores. If your bookstore doesn't have it, ask them for it because they'll get it in for you. And you can learn more about me at Alice in Frames, like F-R-A-E-S, like glasses, Mm -hmm. uh, and just connect with me. I would love to hear from you. I've got people jumping into my DMs to say, you know, I've just got this avocado. What do I do with it? It's, uh, It's just the reason I got into food in the first place is because I like to make friends and that hasn't changed. <laughs> awesome. Well, Alice, thank you so much for spending time with me. You were such a joy and I can't wait to keep in touch with you. I can't wait to come to San Fran and visit and yes. please do look me up if you get to, to Victoria and Australia too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's I was in high school the last time I was in Australia for a quick visit. Well, it was two weeks, not too quick, but I would love Long to overdue. go back. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We'll make it happen. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Take care. Brilliant. Thank you, Liren. Thank you. If anyone can get even the staunchest doubter excited about veggies, I am sure Alice can. I hope this motivates you as much as it does me to run to the nearest farmer's market and enjoy all the fresh produce. I want to thank Alice for joining me today on the podcast and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate, review, and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.